Welcome, welcome back to the Tomahawk Show. I am Andrew Hawkins here as always, but with my co-host Joe Thomas, and of course NFD. NFD, how you doing today? Doing great. Of course you are. Listen, you are t- tuned into the best podcast in the history of audio. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you rate five stars. Hit us up on Twitter with the hashtag Tomahawk. Today is finally the day. We have a special treat, don't we, Joe? We've got an unbelievable guest here with us in studio today. We have the man, the myth, the legend, JFF, Johnny Manziel. Greatest quarterback in not only Browns history, but NFL history. And I got to say, my man, thank you for sitting down with us today, Johnny. Joe T, Hawk, thank you guys for, for letting me come in. I appreciate it. Yo, you're, you're our first guest, like our real guest. I mean, we did the radio road thing, but you're our first real guest, and it only feels so right. I, I couldn't agree more. <sighs> I've been I've been watching this, obviously, from the outside for the last week or two or, wh- or however long it's been going on, yeah. and it's been... Um, I think it's been great. I it's, think you guys have done awesome. I appreciate it, man. You know, we're just, we got Forbes 30 under 30. We won a People's Choice Award, <laughs> uh, an Oscar. The the accolades keep building up. Johnny, New York Times best-selling list. New York Times best-selling list. Thanks, NFD. Now, we're, we're going to jump right into it. We've seen, we seen you on Good Morning America. We heard you on PMT, the only podcast who was our rival at this at this point in time. Um but now we got you on our show. Tell us about what's going on, man, where you're at right now, and what's, what's cracking. Man, I've been living in L.A. pretty much since uh, I left Cleveland. Uh-huh. Um, I've been here for almost like two and a half years now. You know, I went through that lull of finding out what Hollywood was about when you first come out here and kind of get lost in everything, and, and now— Lost in the sauce. Yeah, exactly. I got Joe some hats coming to Cleveland. I was going to say, that, that was going to be my first question is, when am I going to get my damn hat that you've uh, promised me? <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. stuck here wearing Under Armour stuff, so, and I wanted the Lost in the Sauce. So what I what I messed up on was not having uh, a big enough hoodie for, for Joe T. The guy's <laughs> like 6'8". He's right? used to uh, it. A, a like, size 8 head. So I, uh, I had to wait. I had— Hawk small hoodies uh, readily, on deck. readily available. On Hawk, deck. I've seen you like 10 in 10 colors. They're all here. <laughs> so the size differential. But for me, being out here, I finally figured out where I like being in L.A. I like being in the valley a little more and like away from Beverly Hills and, and yeah. Hollywood and a little bit like that. So, Is it because it reminds you of Cleveland? Um, I, would LA? To, I would have to go way, I would have to no. go way out to have the Cleveland. Oh, me, and, me and Joe were, were pretty much in a little bit of the same area when we were in Cleveland, but I feel like I finally started to figure out a little bit where I find, uh, where I do my best in LA. Yeah. All right. Well, I like it. I mean, I'm a little pissed that we weren't the first podcast you came to, being how I took a couple across the chin with you. I felt like we had <laughs> battle wounds out there together, um, but it's cool. I, I, you know, I let it ride. Shout out to the, bar, the Barstool Sports guys or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's never Johnny. heard of them. Ne- exactly, but it's whatever, man. What else you got, Joe? We got JFF in the building. Yeah, man. Um, we both enjoyed the the PMT interview. Actually, we laugh, but uh, you know, PMT's kind of been left behind us, staring up at us now that uh, we've surpassed them in views. Actually, and now we're the number one podcast. But, yes. Uh, we still enjoy them. You know, they're like our little brother. Um, <laughs> I know that you're really still close with Josh Gordon. Um, do you talk to him on a daily basis? Do you train with him? And uh, where is your relationship? Because I know you guys were kind of close when you were in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I uh, I wouldn't say I talk to him daily, but I talk to him weekly, every every week at least for sure. Um, during the season, not as much. I was kind of just letting him get into his his rhythm and and figure out what it was like to be back on the field, be mm-hmm. back you know around guys. I know when I came out um, after I left Cleveland, he was he was out here and um, he was living with Greg Little for a little while, and I was just like. I literally was moving houses every every seven days, so I, I couldn't find a rental property that yeah. I liked. I couldn't find anything, so I would literally just go on Airbnb for like three or four days, and me and JG and one of my boys, Ryan, would literally just live out of a suitcase and a Range Rover that we rented and just drive around That's LA wild. and go to the next house, and we did this for like four months. So at this point in time, like right after the season, I was like not ready for any football workouts, Had didn't think about touching a football, had like uh-huh. zero of that on my mind, but JG was getting up even every day when... We would go out or we would do whatever, and he uh, and he would go grind it. I think it unbreakable out here. So I watched how much it really was eating at him, and, and he knew that he was getting down to his last leg and had, yeah. to, had to make something shake. Like it was that time to, to make it happen. But right. I am proud looking back at him now and, and seeing, you know, there was a point in time where I didn't talk to him for like six months, and mm-hmm. he went completely dark, um, especially after he went 
to the training camp, went yeah. through the preseason games, was looking like he was going to have the entire season, and then he went away. Right. I think after that, JG took some time to look back at his life and, and reflect upon his circle of people that he had around him and if those people that were around him were really right for him and if they mm -hmm. were really helping him or if they were just waiting for him to get back to a position where they could use him again. Yeah. And, and that's what I feel like he had to find was um, – what is my main goal and who around me is going to help me do that and, and help me be a person? Because the thing about me and JG that's so similar is we can continuously be doing so well, but all it takes is one person to come up and offer something or invite us to something that we know is not right not for us, but idea. we'd like to do. So right. in, in, at the end of the day, like JG has the same problem that I have, I feel like, in the fact that he it's hard saying no to everyone. Yeah. It, it's just hard. And I get that. I, I actually <laughs> seen JG a couple days ago, and um, and I was also in the facility talking to – you know, a couple of the coaches and the guys who weren't there with JG before, you know, like pre-2016, pre-2017 JG, they're like, you know, we've read all the articles, we've seen all the pieces on them, we've talked to coaches who have coached them, and we cannot find that guy that everybody is referring to that had all this stuff going on and wouldn't work hard and didn't care. And it's like, that excites me because, like, you know, like and you said, I've had this conversation with you. With me, it's it's more than football. Like, football is something we're talented at, and yes, we want to maximize this opportunity as players, but it's more about a life thing. And that's what, like, the exciting part about not only JG, but comeback season is for me is because, you know, whatever happens on the football side, whether you, you know, you know, play football, end up starting and winning a Super Bowl, or never doing that, for the rest of your life, you have this incredible opportunity and this incredible story that has the potential literally to be the best comeback stories in sports and that's like that in itself is an incredible opportunity because people have this crazy idea that people don't go through shit you know what i mean or because you reach a certain height or because all the eyeballs on you all of a sudden you have to turn into a perfect guy or not deal with whatever issues that every family every person in america has the same issues with or struggles with so that's that's to me is like the most exciting part about watching the whole thing and the development and the maturation process and I think uh, I'll speak on that for a little bit that, that me and JG learned. Um, JG comes out supplemental draft, you know, finally gets a little bit of money in his pocket from mm -hmm. what like he had he had grown up. He had grown up rough, like everything he had been to. He never had anything handed to him, and right. nothing was easy. Like the stories I hear of my guys who played football with him in high school were like, it's just shocking, like what he really had to grow through and really had to live through early in his life. So. Right. When you get to a point where you, you feel like you finally make it and you feel like you finally put some money in your pocket and you feel like you finally are, are where you want to be in your life, and this is something that I experienced after I get drafted in, in the first round, I, I was miserable. After yeah. I felt like I had, as a kid, had a dream to be a professional athlete. Like If somebody handed me a paper when I'm third grade, like, what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to play, I wanted to play pro baseball, but I wanted to play pro sports, you know, right, in, in right. general. So it was to that point where when I got there, as crazy as everything was and, and just what the reality of the situation turned out to be versus what you think and dream it is mm -hmm. was completely two different things for me. And, and I realized that money didn't just make me happy. The fame didn't just make me happy. And that all the things that I had going on in my life weren't what I really wanted. And, and when you get to a point where you think it's what you've wanted your whole life and it's finally there in front of you yeah. and it's not, that's a shocking like revelation. Yeah. I, I can see that for sure. Hey, um, I know being in the locker room with Josh this season was awesome because I've been a big Josh Gordon fan since we drafted him. Um, I think he's got a great future, and he really did a great job this season, like Hawk mentioned. I think the, the coaches were super happy and excited about the progress that he made during this season, and I think they're really excited about having him during the offseason and really giving him a full season to show who he can be, and he's done an amazing job. Um, Johnny, specifically to that, has he given you any advice on sort of his comeback and anything he's learned that would maybe help you as you kind of embark on your journey back into the NFL? I mean, we talk we talk about it a, a lot, but I don't think there's really any like advice that he's given me uh, like that. The more that I've learned from JG is was what he did with going dark and and, mm -hmm. and taking time when I thought he was at a really good place, especially going into the preseason of two years ago of say 16 or whatever yep. it was yep. um to know that he was on a path to play an entire nfl season that he had personal things that were going on that still weren't exactly where he needed to be or felt like he needed to be to go out and endure a full season like mentally to be right. able to take time out step away 
go dark, not hear from him, and, and focus on himself. And, and I think I took that advice with his actions more than anything that he's he's told me um, yeah. through words. That's crazy. That's crazy. Well, I remember when I came in 2014, and you talked about it a little bit on PMT, but like the buzz around Cleveland sports was crazy because you know they had JG. We ended up drafting Johnny in the first round. LeBron came back, so it was like I was a guy coming from Cincinnati. I didn't know much about Cleveland sports in general, but as all this stuff kind of to fall in place, there was like this crazy amount of excitement. And we had a really good run in 2014. That's like the mm-hmm. closest that we've been to mm-hmm. like a good team in Cleveland. So we got to talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like what what do you think? Because it was always my philosophy that not only was it a disservice to that season and the team to throw you in there at the time we did, it was more of a disservice to Johnny Manziel because it was like, I mean, just we were seven and four at one time, and I remember getting the phone call and them being like, hey, you know, I think we're going to make a change at quarterback. And I, I don't care what your opinion is about what the upside is of Brian Hoyer or what the upside was of that team. I'm like, seven and four, you don't change things. That's just not what you do. And then I think them throwing you in there like that, and, and not to say that it was all someone else's fault, but I'm just saying football decisions, I, I don't think that was the, the best move. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I can take it back. Obviously, from the day that I got drafted, getting there, ton of excitement. You're going through OTAs, and and the Browns are getting coverage like mm-hmm. the, like any team in the NFL yeah. are getting coverage, like a high end team. Yeah. And the expectations were high off rip. I mean, to go back and think about it, I was the second pick in the first round. We had Justin Gilbert that was oh, the eighth yeah. pick in the draft, and Very really true. the Browns had the fourth pick in the draft. Right. So they could have done gone a, a multitude of different ways, but I, I just look back at it and and on my personal reflection. Whenever we got into OTAs and we started doing team drills and, and Jimmy O'Neill and those guys were like doing their eight DB fronts and like and just with Shanahan's <laughs> offense and learning it like I didn't feel like I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't yeah. know when there was eight DBs walking around and it's like T Gip and Joe right. Hayden and like these guys who are really good players <laughs> in, 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 the, in the back end, like Whitner, like right. these guys who are really solid established players are doing these crazy walk around fronts. And I'm like I hardly even know what two jet does. Yeah, and I don't it, even know weird, who this though, blocks. Because even in that, like you talk about that, and someone will listen and be like, "Oh, but why didn't he?" It's a weird situation because you also you're a competitor. They want you to, to fight for the starting job. They don't mm-hmm. want a guy to come in and be like, "Yeah, hey, I want to sit back and learn," or "Yo, teach me what this means." That there's eight because they they expect you to know and they want you to know. You want them to think that like, "Yo, I know what I'm doing and I'm ready to go." Because that's the competitor in you. And that's the thing that I could sit in there with Dow and Kyle and those guys and go over it on the whiteboard and go over it a million times and have it in my head. But when yeah. you go out there on the field and you see these guys walking around and they're in different places than they are, and coming from what I did in college, which was, all right, is the linebacker a little tucked in? Okay, cool, I'm going to throw this bubble. Or right. is it single high safety and I'm going to throw this seam? Like It wasn't like, okay, here's the mic. This is where every single guy in the offensive right. line is going. And, and if – I don't tell Joe Thomas what to do. He's going to go down, and that guy in the end is going to rip my head <laughs> off. Like, I just didn't know what any of that was about. So, like, looking back on it, like, I think I started to get discouraged. Yeah. And I really started to get down on myself when I would take a three-step drop from the shotgun and do what I would normally do and, like, spin out to go out the back door, and then, like, Kruger's in my face would have <laughs> eaten my lunch. Like, I think I started to get really, really discouraged and down on myself, Um and that's when I just started isolating. I, I remember Halloween from from that year. Joe Thomas throws his party. Yeah. He's in and we text a little bit and he texts me like, bro, you didn't you didn't show up. I'm like, well, I don't leave the house. Right. I, I go I go home and, and I like cocoon in my little like little media room and I play video games. Like I have one on this screen with like a basketball game going on this screen, and I just like sit in my room and wait for my alarm to go off the next day and I go back to practice. So like looking back at that year. We had great pieces. We had great coaching. Like, the thing that we missed from the second year to the first year was Kyle Shanahan being able to yeah. coach you, being able to coach Joe, being able to coach me and Crow and I T. Agree. West. Like, we, we lost our online coach the next year, and we didn't know about hat placement or hand placement or anything like that that Shanahan could do. So we had the staff. We had the pieces, I, I feel like, to have made a run, especially in our division, if not a wild card run. But going through the season, we're, we're seven and four as we come through the Thursday night game, leaving Cincinnati, um, and, and things are cruising. Like I, I'm sitting there, and I'm not taking it the right way. I, I'm not looking at it like, okay, Hoyer's one play away from going down, and me being the guy up, because I was right. like, it's gonna take uh, a stretcher and an ambulance on the right. field to get Hoyer off it. 
Like yeah. he went down a couple times that year where like we were at home one game, I remember, and I think it was maybe against like Indy or something, but he goes down and like it was a solid like twenty seconds and he like flapjacks himself up off like the turf like and he just like i start to walk out on the field and he's like hell hell no, no. get your I'm ass back, back johnny football but but you guys know how it was like and yeah. shanahan and them didn't really know like we're doing trick plays against baltimore where i'm coming in a couple plays and like we're doing the zone read stuff but yeah. like does t west really know the zone read stuff <laughs> like that type of thing like um so i just looking back on it i don't feel like I, there was such a rift in me knowing between like Shanahan and Dow and and even I believe Coach Pettin and mm-hmm. what Ray Farmer and what was Jimmy Haslam's like really role in drafting me because looking back at it now I don't think Kyle really wanted me that much yeah I, and how much did they let outside influence um, like affect them bringing me in right um, but as you look at it we're seven and four we hit a little bit of a lull there maybe yep. lost a game or two and it was after the Atlanta game where we barely snuck that one out and it was mm-hmm. JG's first game back um yeah, I started I, I started to hear a little bit of like clamoring about it and and my agent was like starting to talk to me a little bit about it like I think it was just a mix of like we were good. Why would we change anything up? Why would right. we not let there was two games left in the season and yeah. we were at a dead even record. We were at seven and seven going into the last two games of the year. And then I, I played Cincinnati first game. Couldn't have gone any worse. That was a- and I think I, I think we just didn't get off to a good start in that game. Right. Like we had some things like on third and we get to third and one on our first on our first drive and we run like a under center quarterback draw and I get dropped like a half a yard short and then Sorry, Hawk, but we do have a deep over light crossing. I put it a little bit behind you, and I didn't hit you with a good pass, and it happens. And it was just one of those days that you, like, look back on it, and it was just like it wasn't meant to be our day. Right. A couple picks in the end zone. Like, it just wasn't our day. So we go to Carolina, and it kind of starts off that same way again the next week. Mm -hmm. I have to hit JG on a slant. I slip and miss the throw, and then I get hurt in in the first half of the – Second, the first half of that game. So then that's the that's it for my season. Like then yeah. I, then I'm done. And then we're kind of all looking back on like what did that really do? Were they really like envisioning me being the spark to come in and get this? But did we really need a spark, or did we just hit a late game rut in the season that right. every team in the NFL does? And every team does. And that 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 was I think my thing, and I, I think Joe would agree. We were kind of like, I think for a lot of veterans, there were a lot of there were there were a lot of new veterans in the locker room at that time, like guys from other. Organizations like you talked about, Whitner, Kruger, Whitner, Whitner, like, and I think like we were on such a high because it was it's tough to get to seven and four, seven and five in Cleveland, and it's like yo, we got a chance here, especially for a guy like Joe who's been there for ten and eleven seasons, and then when they made the change, it was kind of like, and it, it had nothing to do with who we thought personnel wise or who was better talent or who had the better ups. It was like yo, we have a good thing going. Why are we changing it? And to us, it kind of felt like man, our focus isn't on winning. Like and it was like a but why kind of wasn't a shock. It? but but and why wasn't it like it, why not why not go from seven and four to try and make a real run at it and like hey Hoyer's the guy let's figure out Hoyer's situation after the year yeah let's see if we're gonna bring him back with the guy or like Give whatever the case good may be like that's the best problem to have is to right. have two guys one that hasn't played and is still like learning mm-hmm. and one guy who's came out and his fights hard and and, and performed like uh, that's the way I just looked at it and I think. That's been the thing with like Cleveland. They're just like a little bit like uncertain in certain areas, and to have a certain direction that they want to go and sticking to that, it, yeah. it's been different than what they've said. And that's what I look back on the 2014 season and see. Right. This episode is brought to you by HP Plus. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP Plus. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. A lot of talk about 2014 is giving me a headache, boys. <laughs> a lot of good memories, but... Uh, so many uh, good memories. Didn't end as well as we'd like. Um, we do some fun stuff on the show. We don't try to be too serious all the time. Yeah. Uh, this one is, of the this questions, is way too serious. Yeah, this let's, is real serious. Let's, let's take it. One of the questions that I'm dying to ask you that we've asked a lot of guys is, 
who is the most famous person in your phone? Because uh, we know that you rub elbows with a lot of Hollywood people. You've been in dude. L.A. a long time. You were, uh, Drake was giving you hugs when you were in college. <laughs> so we got to know, who's the most famous guy on your phone? I mean, it has to be Drake or LeBron, right? It has I to mean, be Drake. We got to cancel those two out because we yeah, know he has Drake. Knows, we know you got Drake. We know you got LeBron. I remember when the draft day Johnny Manziel <laughs> song came out. I'm like, dang, this dude is so lit. <laughs> he gets he gets hella name drops from Drake. So, regardless, besides Johnny, I mean, besides LeBron, besides Drake, who's the most famous person in your phone? Besides Hawk. Besides me. Joe Thomas. Besides Jesse. Present company excluded. Yeah, we're um, like the four horsemen: me, Joe Thomas, Drake, and LeBron. Man, that's a, that's a really good question. The majority of like. Uh, I, I probably have like I probably have Kobe's number in there somewhere. Wow, like where, where wow. I was like Woo. when I first came out here, um, I went to a couple Lakers game and like sat down and talked to him a little bit. And yeah. between like Maverick and like a lot of those like ba- like the basketball side of like right. what LeBron and Mav and them do, like I've got to meet some some cool people. Um, so I would go back through and probably say say that that would be, Dang. but. Who's probably old number by now? Like new phone. Who this? No, like, all new the time. Phone. <laughs> who this? All right, we gotta get into uh, some stories too, man. We got a 2015 season that was not as fun as the 2014 season for anybody, <laughs> and people don't realize like that was a, I'm that was a tough year for like, I think a lot of players in that locker room because like you said we were missing Shanahan a lot, and like from a development standpoint, kind of going into that and what we had gotten used to and what we expected going into that year, but there was a time in the season when um, they, I forget how it went, but they named you the starter, and then something got, something went wrong. I don't know what it was, but I long remember story, how it, it was went. the bye week. I remember how it went. Josh Give it McCown, to us. Josh McCown went to dive into the end zone the first game as I have a full, <laughs> yeah. as I have a full yeah. mouth of seeds talking with Connor <laughs> Shaw on the sideline. He goes to dive from the 10-yard line and gets helicoptered. <laughs> he gets helicoptered to a different dimension. He His looked like he's comes 70 off. years old. He, first of all, he didn't even score. He didn't even leave me with the 7-0 lead. He fumbled. He fumbled. He fumbled on the goal line. So we have zero points. They get the ball. McCown is, is knocked out. And uh, I remember just going, poof. Spitting every seed out of my mouth and being like, oh, well, this is going to be fun. I've been working on 4-3 defense pretty much in my head the whole time, and the Jets definitely don't run that. (laughs) The Jets definitely. I remember one play in that game. You threw it to me. It was a run play. And everyone yelled at me. I'm like, that that was, I don't know what's going on. But it was like the play came in so weird that it was like half run, half pass. So half the team ran a pass play and half the team ran a run play on accident. But it was was ugly. Uh, It was... It was hard sledding. I'm surprised we scored 17 points. The, the I'm, we had a, a nice like goal line play. We we actually drove on them the first couple like drives we had. Yeah, we run like a, a a fake run play to the right and roll left, and you're running down like on the goal line. I missed you, and I sit here and have nightmares about it like all the time. Like if we could have really gone in there and like we would have been up a couple scores after I hit Trav on that deep touchdown pass. That was such but, a sick pass too. So that happens. Um, Josh is out and he goes into the next week and he's in concussion protocol. So literally they try and start Josh all the way through the week until like Thursday or Friday. Like he can't practice, but they're still trying to get him back to yeah. like play. So we play Tennessee the next the next game at home. And that was maybe one of the most lit experiences in oh, Cleveland man. I've ever had. That was so fun. We had we started off the first play of the game with a seventy yard touchdown pass to Trav, and then we get we only threw twelve passes by the way in the entire game. And you got Trav paid. Paid. I love my boy Trav. Trav that guy's a legend. Trav, you owe him some M's in case you're listening, <laughs> which I know you are. Um, so then the like get down into it. There's like three minutes left in the game, and then. Hit Trav on the deep like cross route in the end zone, and the mm-hmm. birds, the birds fly oh, in the end man. zone through Cleveland, and everybody's going nuts. Like I got chills going here. Like, uh, so, so that's what it started, and then we win that game and, and come back next week, and and they start Josh against Oakland. Yeah. Um, and then for there, like the next five or six weeks, uh, Josh plays the majority of the game. We're we we almost beat Oakland. Then we I think we play Denver, and we we hang in there with Denver, but like. We don't get the win, and then we're sitting there at, like, one and three, and then really until the Arizona game, and then we played at St. Louis that year. And I came in for, like, you know, the last five, six minutes of the game because Josh was literally just needed to be in a full-body cast. Like, <laughs> right. that was all said and done. Like, he was just, like, that guy is is unbelievable. I'll speak on him for a minute because yes. without Josh, I wouldn't have had a single bit of success that second year. Yeah. 
I went through my rehab. I was gone all almost like all the entire like off season, three months that I went and did that. Mm-hmm. I came back and like I was like staying right in Berea. Like I literally walked out the back gate, like into the facility. Like I did nothing. I didn't go anywhere. I was out of my place downtown. And then Josh gets there and he's like, listen, I've been doing this for 15 years. Like I'm going to show you what it's really like. Like here's what time you need to be here. Here's what time we're going to stay till. Here's what we're going to do whenever we get our breaks. We're not, we're not messing around playing Madden in the players lounge. Like right. let's get in here and just let me teach you some stuff. And after like eight weeks of that, on top of what training camp was like, I really, really started to figure it out and yeah. the protections and it really slowing down. And for Joe to ask me a question and really be able to like look him in the face and not give him an answer with a question mark on the end of it, <laughs> like was was what I felt like I was able to to really do. So my success and what when I was able to actually go out in some of the later games in the year and like, okay, there's the mic. I know that when this guy's a little bit further back, this is what Pittsburgh's gonna do. Like right. this is what they only bring this guy or they only do that. And I, you know, I, I talk to him all the time. Yeah. I, I talk to I was him, try say. to talk to him at least like once a week because, man, this guy was extremely, extremely instrument, instrumental in the player that, you know, I became in a short stretch of time, but also where I feel like I have a blueprint moving forward to where if I get back onto a team, I'm doing what this guy told me to do because right. I know that it worked for me and it worked well. I would say continue, I, me and Joe have a philosophy that if, Josh McCown got the opportunity; he could be a successful head coach right now in the NFL because mm-hmm. he's that kind of person. Like, and just he's that think, cool. He's that like yeah. smart. He knows his football. He's that cool, calm, and collective. And at the end of the day, he's one of the guys that was exactly. like fun to be around and, and awesome. And he's yeah. got great hair. And he has incredible. He does hair. have great hair. Press conferences <laughs> will be so lit. Um, <laughs> tell us, what, we need another story from you. I need the I need the Billy Vegas story. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. why really we got you here. Yeah. We all that was just precursor for us. To break the Billy Vegas story so, on the Tomahawk. So it's it's to the point in time where I'm able to look back, reflect, yeah, know that it was a mistake, know that I, I made some really childish, like immature decision, decisions. Right. Like this decision, like th- that I made. What a complete lack of respect for guys like Joe T. What a complete lack of respect for an organization that was trying to stick by me, mm-hmm. even with having a concussion at this point in time. Um, and, and everything like what just a complete selfish um, decision and we play Kansas City um, and can I say real quick before you go into it because I remember the Kansas City game and you balled I think that game too but the reason why like receivers every time because it was back and forth between you Josh somebody else would get hurt whatever that looked like but we loved playing with you because we knew anybody was going to get like because there's certain quarterbacks that are like okay I, he's always going to throw to JG or Hartline is his guy he's going to go to when shit gets out of the way. We're like yo when Johnny plays, everybody's live. So like the one game I got a concussion, I was in the hospital. It was a bad concussion. Mm-hmm. I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I didn't remember anything. So my boy came to visit me and he was like yo man you doing all right? I'm like and I was like coming too. He's like man you were having a good game. I'm like oh I was. He's like, yeah, bro, you had, like, six catches for, like, 60-something yards. And I was like, Johnny was playing, wasn't he? He was like, yeah. I'm like, I knew it. He'll throw it to anybody, man. That's why I love playing. But it's just funny to me, like, because, you know, as a receiver, I just want the ball like everybody else wants the ball. Johnny's going to give you the ball. But go ahead. Kansas City game. Kansas City game, go out. I felt something, like, probably in, like, the third quarter, like, get rid of the ball and then, like, two of their, like, D tackles, like, grab my ankles. And I never have got really, like – the straight-up head-to-head hit where you lower your shoulder and you're one-on-one and you hit somebody. I've never had, like, a concussion that way. It's right. always been when you fall back and you slam your head on the turf. Ah. So that happened somewhere in, like, the third quarter. As you watch towards, like, the end of that game, um, our last drive, we're still making a push for it. We need a touchdown. It's fourth down. Travis runs, like, a slant. I think we have a slant call. And I literally have no rush, no pressure, and just take a three-step drop and just throw it 40 yards down the field to nobody. <laughs> So I felt like, of course, like with the way the concussion protocol is, like you can't like, and I was the kind of guy, like I feel like me and Josh were ingrained the same way as far as like it's going to take a lot to get us off the field, especially after I'm finally here. Right. After through all the things that I've had to start, win, go back to the bench, like do everything, um, I'm not going anywhere. So we go back after that game, go into the building Monday, and like I know I'm a little off, and then the the Tuesday off day comes, and I'm – I go into the building for a little bit, and at this point in time, I had like three or four of my friends up from from Texas. It's uh-huh. towards the end of the season. We see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're two and whatever we are. Right. Um, 
and just the wrong mindset of being a little bit over it. And then once these guys came up there, they were in party mode. They were in let's go to the basement <laughs> and bang some March Madness and play pool and drink Four Locos type of thing. Hey. So I come back one day and they just literally, we just start playing pool, start drinking, and then Joel will remember this like it's yesterday, but we come into that offensive line meeting that we have every day at like 7 a.m. on, on Tuesday. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's a combination of me being concussed, having drank the night before, or, or just being out of it. But I walk into the meeting for probably like 15 seconds, and I'm like, nope. No way am I, no way is this going to happen. Like, my head is loopy. So I go into Joe Sheehan's office, and I'm like, you know, like, um, I have a concussion. Like, I know I do. Like, can we, like, evaluate this? Like, right. whatever. He's like, concussion why, didn't, why didn't you come to us on Sunday or Monday? I'm like, well, there's no chance I'm going to be able to play in the last game of the season against, it was Pittsburgh, I think, yeah. who we had played. We didn't play them well as a team, but, like, I felt like I had my best game ever yeah, against you, them. So I yep. knew what their defense ran. I was, like, I was going to pry and push through it. Um, and, and then after that, I, they take me to the hospital that day. Um, I stay there, like, the entirety of the day. And then it's kind of like, you know, my season's over. That's well, the last game that of the season. It. I'm done. And then I was going through some things, like, just with my um, at-home life to mm-hmm. where, like, that was my biggest problem that year. It, it wasn't the football life. It, right. it wasn't what was going on in the building. Like, I love getting there early. I love Josh and Connor and, and the guys that we had. Um, it, it was what was going on at home that right. was causing me so many problems. And um, one of those problems led me to Vegas. And yeah. I felt like I couldn't like solidify or try and fix my home life without going out there um so i had this reckless reckless plan <laughs> on a saturday after the uh after the walkthrough i'm gonna catch a 12 o'clock flight let's call it 12 o'clock flight to so Vegas. you want commercial did you go private? oh yeah commercial. You, oh, united united coach <laughs> everything so i fly out there i'm like okay i'm gonna fly out there from 12 i get there at three or one or two or whatever two or three or whatever time it is and i'm going to stay there for three hours and then i'm going to catch the 10 30 flight back so i can make my mandatory treatment session the next day uh-huh. for all the injured players before the game on sunday so i fly out there i land and this is where i messed up <laughs> <laughs> did anybody where, recognize uh, you on the plane nobody on the plane nobody okay. at the airport i had my hat i had my i had uh-huh. We'll get into another story the, after this. You have to hear the next story after this. It's okay. probably better than the Billy Vegas story. Yes. But um, I had my I had my, flying in the Cleveland airport so small. So I had my hood, my hat, my everything, my sunglasses. You I had, had my the, way I'm of to like hide look the oh, bomber look. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So, so I get there, no problem. For whatever reason, I don't use like any of my Vegas contacts for this. I'm just like, just gonna go <laughs> with the flow and just like literally go up to the front desk, like, yo, can I get a room at Planet Hollywood or something? <laughs> like, so I go to Planet Hollywood, doing my talk, talking about my family business, like whatever. And then I'm like, you know what? That craps table's calling my name, man. That, that blackjack table's calling my name because the horseshoe in Cleveland Johnny. corrupted me. So it's calling my name. Johnny. So I go and sit down. The guy IDs me. I hand him my ID and he's like. Like takes a look at the at the because there's TV. so many John takes a, takes a look at the, the TV right behind me and there's like an announcement <laughs> that like my name's on the bottom of the ticker it's like a brown something and he's just like that's you I'm like yeah so right after that <laughs> happened there's like a certain bar right behind the Planet Hollywood I think it's called like the Heart Bar or something walk in to grab a drink and this guy just zeroes in on me he like knows my walk my my talk my everything and he's like I know that guy. It happens to be, like, a reporter that has, like, probably, like, a couple thousand followers but still got the blue check, so he's got, like, a yeah, little yeah, bit yeah. of juice. He's so like he's a little like, legit. He's got a little juice, and he's, like, a baseball reporter, I think, but he sees me, he spots me, and then I'm into straight damage mode. I'm like, <laughs> do I catch this flight at 10? Like, I don't know, Hakkasan's going to be pretty lit tonight. I don't really want to <laughs> go home. I don't really want to go home. So, man, I, I, miss, I miss my flight. I put out an Instagram saying that I'm at home with my dog and tag it in, in Avon, Ohio. You thought that would cover your tracks. Okay, well, no, Joe, just, Joe I think T, we're good for Hawkinson now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so then I'm like, right I'm like, oh, okay, like, I'm not gonna be able just to go in with a hat. Like, let's go get a <laughs> let's go get a wig. And <laughs> as funny as this is, like, I'm I'm still pretty embarrassed by it. Like, it's still just it's, like a reckless decision. But it's like, like we said, let it die. So let it die. We're gonna kill it tonight. So let it die, and uh, 
I'm like, let's go to this wig shop. So I just get on Google, type in nearest wig shop, and just go somewhere <laughs> off the strip, very, very <laughs> sketchy, and just walk into this place. And and this little like lady comes up. She's like, what you want on your hair, honey? Like, what you want? I'm like, I need something that makes me not look like this. Do you have a mustache? Do you have a, a wig? Do you have anything? And, and she came back with this wig, and I put it on in two seconds, and I'm like, perfect. I shaved all my facial hair but my mustache, so I kind of had, like, a little mustache, <laughs> mustache. going. Oh, I didn't need to buy the mustache. The only mustaches they had were, like, the ones that come down, like, six the or seven Manchus. inches. The Fu Manchus. <laughs> so I didn't think that was going to really help my so case. Help it was a blonde mullet? It was, like, a blondish brown, like, m- like mullet. Um, I, I actually you have, still have I, I know the there's mullet. pictures. I, I talked to somebody last week who said he has the picture. I um, have the picture. An insider. Well, that's what we got to break the picture with the the story. We will with this podcast. We will, Uh, and and I'll find it before we leave here. I have some some. Yeah. (laughs) Can you imagine the photos in that phone right now? Never, never. Yeah. Yeah, Can you imagine what he's scrolling (laughs) through right now from two, three years ago? Like, oh, geez, Drake, what are you doing there? Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, (laughs) Uh, so so we decide to go to a, a casual like dinner before, like let's go to Hakkasan for dinner before we go to Hakkasan for for the club. Sit down with a couple of my guys that are there, and, like, uh, they're laughing their ass off. It's all fun and games until, like, one, like, promoter or somebody, like, really is, like, yo, like, this is not really all that funny. Like, this yeah. is, like, a serious deal. And uh, we go out, stay out all night, chain smokers. It was all right. Like, it, it was what it was. I get back, at, like, 2 that morning. And this is the point in time before I knew, like, where I was flying private or doing uh, anything like that. If I would have known this, I would have just hopped on a plane, like, right after and gone back and been been there in time. Been there. But, no but I didn't know. Like, I, I at this point in time, throughout my whole career at Cleveland, I lived with, like, a $2,000 every two week, like, stipend pretty right. much. And I had a debit card. Like, yeah. I just was living like a college kid that got my stipend check from the school type right. of thing. Like, right. I didn't spend five grand here. I didn't go buy clothes. Like, right. I had all my cars from a place in Cleveland. I didn't buy anything. Yeah. So... That's where the, like, really, like, wow. disconnect went, but somebody the next day, so I get back to the room that night, probably, like, 3 or 4 in the morning, and it's already 7 o'clock on the East Coast time, like, people, we play at 11, like, right. like this stuff is already, like, <laughs> starting to come out, I have to be there at 8, which is in an hour, which I'm definitely not going to make that, but <laughs> um, I just turn my phone off and throw it in the drawer, and I'm like, alright, we'll figure it out when we wake up, and I ended up just waking up, leaving my phone off, turned it on sometime around, like, 3 or 4 to, like, uh, absolute shit cluster show. <laughs> shit show of messages um, because somebody uh, uh, like the promoter whoever saw me like just went and sold it to somebody in, in Vegas like a credible like little news source in Vegas this is what happened this is what they ordered this is what they had for dinner this is what he was drinking this is oh, how many man. drinks he had like every, stitches, everything bro. so uh, after that crazily enough I still go back to Cleveland I sit down with Jimmy and I sit down with Sashi and I explain it to him I explain where I'm at mentally, I explained what was going on in my home life um, mm-hmm. and just really, like, was open and honest with them about everything. And, and then um, I think they were still going to stick through me with it. You know, yeah. I think it had rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But at the end of the day, like, the people who were making the decisions, I feel like looking back at our conversations, they uh, they still had faith um, that if they could get my head right and get where I needed to be mentally, um, that I, I still had a, a potential in the future there. And then... Once the coaching change ended and we were looking for a new coach, the the first thing that I heard um, through my agent was like, oh, if Hugh Jackson gets this job, he yeah. has a contingency in his thing that if he's taking this job, the first thing he's doing is coming in and, and getting rid of you. So it wasn't the mm-hmm. end of the world, but I treated it as it was the end of the world after sitting there with Sashi and Jimmy um, and feeling like they were going to, you know, go to bat for me like a, right. a little bit. But I, I get it. At the end of the day, like – it's a billionaire owner who has to make a decision for his franchise for the rest of time. So right. there's no hard feelings there. And, and and it is what it is. And probably, to be honest, like, I should have taken it a little better in the fact that, hey, it's not the end of the world. I'm right. just going to a new team Yeah. A- instead of going into uh, self-sabotage mode from there. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shell. 
College football is best enjoyed at home. You know, the home that has no rooms because it's a stadium of 70,000 screaming fans. But wherever you are, ESPN and Shell can take your fandom further with savings up to 15 cents per gallon for Fuel Rewards members at Shell. Welcome home, football fans. Terms and conditions apply. See FuelRewards.com slash FuelYourFandom for details. Shell is an official sponsor of ESPN College Football. ESPN, the ESPN logo, and ESPN College Football are registered trademarks of ESPN Incorporated. Johnny, you chose a blonde wig in Vegas. Is it true that blondes have more fun? Absolutely. <laughs> was that was that the deciding factor on the color of the wig? Uh, no, it was just like um, uh, you should have just went. It was all just out, like, like hide. Like you should have just. I'm glad you didn't go like blackface and you just like, <laughs> put an afro on and just. Uh, and then they still would have spotted you. Like I know that's Black Johnny Manziel. That's, that's Johnny I know Black Johnny face. when I see him. I don't know if Billy Manziel or, or Black Johnny would have been more. Would have been Get Twitter crazy. poll there. Black Johnny or, or uh, Billy Vegas. How'd you come up with the name Billy Vegas? I didn't. The people, yeah, in, the people. It, uh, the people in in Cleveland who do those uh, oh, who do those t-shirt oh, companies. Yeah, the yeah, next yeah. day, as soon as it dropped, they made those t-shirts and probably made a million dollars <laughs> oh, off no. it. Just more exploitation. Yeah. Just, it, speaking of exploitation, me and Joe. Joe hates oh, the NCAA as much as you do. <laughs> and we were just talking like pre pre show. You're probably the most exploited player in NCAA history. Uh, pro- pro- probably so. I-, I feel the guy who got it got it worse than me. Ob- obviously, I-, I had it bad, but but Todd Gurley actually got suspended. Like that guy actually, they actually went uh, yeah. and took him off the field. Like it was gonna take like a body bag to take me out of my like second season coming back after my Heisman. Like yeah, that was the thing that I I know that they couldn't do is is everything that they were alleging was uh, post Heisman. So I didn't have the the Reggie Bush like come and take my stuff any years later. But right. listen, uh, as far as it goes with the NCAA, it's like. It's a slippery situation. Like it, it's no one way to pay certain guys. Like should the star athletes get more payment? But yeah, then certain people then recruiting. Like if a school Alabama or Texas or whoever is on TV or Florida, like on TV all the time, like you would think going to those schools would get you more money. So then it right. becomes about money, and it's not about college athletics anymore. So I don't know if it's it's able to like capitalize on your likeness, but then it's like you're getting paid to be a star college athlete. Like it's just so tricky and so many little things that that's the reason it's not done today, and that's the reason it is what it is because some people see it as like this is my chance to go out and play and live out my dream, and mm-hmm. and people remember the times they played in college athletics forever, and some people are like, damn, I missed out on like myself, like damn, yeah. I missed out on. <laughs> tens of millions of dollars right. like compared to what I would have made more money in college than I made in, in the NFL. Like, I agree. So uh, one day, maybe, they'll be able to figure it out. I don't see the solution, and I've thought it through my head a million yeah. times. Like, how do you do it? You pay certain guys, and you don't pay other ones, then people are going to transfer, and then it like transferring to one school is more advantageous than transferring to another school, or with all the hype that's in high school recruiting, going to a bigger-name school with a bigger – then you're bringing markets into it. Right. Yeah. Then you're bringing UCLA or, or like you're, you're bringing certain things with bigger markets affect where you're going to sign on National Signing Day, and that just can't happen. That completely ruins college athletics. I agree. My argument was always that players should be able to make their own money off of their likeness and merchandising and marketing. And I know that would give teams like Alabama, UCLA, and stuff like that a big advantage. Obviously, you play for a, a better team. You're going to be more marketable, but – my argument to that was they're already a, in a huge advantage over everybody else, being that they have such an enormous budget mm-hmm. at Alabama. You know, mm-hmm. they already have an unlimited budget. They already have uh, better facilities than any other team in the country. So really the advantage is already built in. So let's not use that as an excuse to continue to exploit players and make money off of their name for your own benefit. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, somebody was telling me about this yesterday. They're like, do you remember when you could go on an NCAA website and type in Manziel on the search and your number two jersey would come up for $69.99? And I'm like, do I remember it? Yes, I got it taken off of there and was about to go at their wow. neck. Like, you guys really tried to come after me for allegedly taking money for autographs, yet you're going to – Put your name, put in the my search name system? in a search engine to make money off me. Like you got me messed up. Yeah, that's you got wild. it so twisted. So now at least, like, I can't imagine how many number two jerseys they sold after that Heisman year. Like right. at the bookstore, they were selling out continuously. I've got one of them. I was like, about to say, like, I, all, have, I own all three the myself. Like, I was bootlegging the them. So now all the jerseys <laughs> I can get from from college are bootleg. Like, I was buying them from China. 
Yeah, that's what I'm doing now. That's the only place you can get them now because they only do <laughs> generic jerseys for, right. for teams. Like A&M is the 12th man. Like, I don't know how they do it at other places. It might be just like zero right. or like one or something. Like I that. love how their solution to the problem was instead of giving players the money, they'd just rather take less revenue by <laughs> yeah. putting real numbers and those we'll just, just go with generic numbers. numbers. Yeah. We'd rather like make less money than actually pay <laughs> the athletes that deserve the money. That's hilarious. So you talk about, I think the only solution is a new league. And speaking of new leagues, you're going to play in the spring league. Tell us about that. What are you looking to get from there? Um, I think if you look at it in the sense of the fact that there's 90 guys on a roster every every single year when training camp starts, yep. not to mention the guys who are on OTAs and don't even make it to that. Mm-hmm. Um, these are guys that have gone through college. Like Their dream is to get drafted. You don't know if you're going to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, like whatever round it is. You don't know when you're going to go, and some guys don't go at all in the draft. Like yeah. So there's so many guys that I've seen just in my time of being in the league. Let's take Taylor Gabriel, for example. Let's yep. take Willie Sneed, for mm-hmm. an example. Like Guys who were lucky to get a shot. They got there and are now like very, very good contributors to the NFL, and I right. think it's a story you know, as old as time in the league that's like, hey, some guys that like don't have the hype come in and play right at the right time and stick around for a long time. Yep, and make um, a lot of money. And, and make a lot of money doing it. So I feel in my eyes that the NFL needs to have something to where guys do get a chance after you get cut and after you don't have anywhere to go and you're on this practice roster, then you're on this one, mm-hmm. then you're on that team and this team and that team. To be able to go into something like, you know, February, March, April, like somewhere in that in that range, to be able to go play ball, do a training camp, impress some scouts to even get back into the deal flow. Because right. some people, once they get out, don't get back in. Um, for me, I, I think it's, it's a great opportunity to be able to get a couple games on film mm-hmm. um, in the spring, which I can't do anywhere else. Yeah. Everything else is fall-based and the options that I had. Um, and, and I think the main thing also was like people were like, well, what option do you really have? Are you going right. to wait around for an NFL team to sign you or are you going to sign with Canada? Like this is what me and Eric talked about when we're like, yo, we have options yeah. like offer us a fair deal or like or we have other stuff that or we'll do and, and, and we'll and we'll try and do it this way. And then and then we'll go from there. So spring league for me is just to be able to go out. And I told somebody this the other day, the thing I miss most about football, uh, aside from the game itself mm-hmm. and throwing the ball is walking into a locker room and having relationships that I have with you guys here. Right. I, I, for the first time in my life, I don't walk into a building and have my own locker with my cleats and my mm-hmm. my shit hanging up. Like, it's just non-existent for me anymore. I'm not able to to watch the rookies get shit on or right. like anything like that. The stuff that's really fun. So I miss the the camaraderie and being around the guys and like having an actual relationship football relationship with guys so that's what i miss the most so to get back for a month and like go through a training camp be around guys the bullshit that comes with football and your and your friends that you're doing it with um you know i, I have a feeling it's going to almost be like not an all-star game but they can't walk around and do all these kind of coverages and we're not going to be able to do right. all kind of stuff offensively it's going to have to be pretty paced like cut and dry type of stuff and for me it's an opportunity to go out and show that hey for the last three months, I've been working my ass off six days a week, you know, for four hours a day. Um, I, I feel like I've addressed um, my mental health that I need to continue to do, and I am mm-hmm. on a daily basis. That's just my regiment. Yep. Um, but to show people, hey, I'm six foot, I'm, I'm 210 to 215. Like, I'm in great shape. I can run. I can throw. Um, and, and, you know, this is where I am. This is – I'm 25 years old. Most guys don't get in the league until they're 23 or 24. Yeah. So I'm 25 with a – whirlwind a huge bag of experience like and mistakes to learn from on the past so uh, that's that's the way i'm looking at it 100 percent. speaking of giving rookies shit um one of my favorite part of training camps in the nfl is the rookie show and i think when you were a rookie johnny one of my favorite uh performances of all time was when you kind of did a little skit about the money phone. And I remember <laughs> oh, Hog, that Hog remembers that. I thought you were really funny and creative, and that was a great way to sort of connect with your teammates. Um, it was pretty cool. But I do have a question about the infamous money phone mm-hmm. uh, that's been really bothering me for a while. Uh, what provider was your money phone? Was it Verizon or were you a Sprint guy? I think it was Boost Mobile. Boost Mobile was money Boost. phone. And, and did you select that because of the nationwide coverage or was there other reasons you were Boost? I think it was just the first one I saw on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> the first money phone. Okay, I got another rapid fire question for you. You said you didn't really like, and, and you, this is being honest, you know, a lot of people wanna, don't want to end up in Cleveland because, you know, it's a losing organization for the most part. And it's like, did you send the text to the, to the Browns coach from the draft you? Mm hmm. 
Yeah, like come get me. Oh, it's a twenty-two. I, I, I'm sitting <laughs> I don't, there. I'm not like, trying to fall out of the first round. I don't man, care. Who, no. Oh, well. I don't care who drafted. They, they me. made me promise that if I didn't go in the first round, I'd come back the next day. I'm like, ha. If you think I go in the second round, you're gonna find me on a beach somewhere for the next two months. I'm not even going to was OTAs. A, was it a mass text to the the remaining twelve teams? No, it wasn't because we knew going into it that the twenty three was probably gonna be our, our floor, which was which yeah. was Kansas City and, and that's Dorsey who who's there now had a good relationship with E B and, uh-huh. and was like we're looking for a backup, like and a guy who could we could groom to be the the next guy a, yeah. after Alex Smith and Andy Reid loved me. Oh, so so so, so I, I knew what it was. But when I went into the draft, I looked at Cleveland and them having the fourth and twenty fourth picks that year and was like, oh, that's a bomb situation. And my boys were like, you don't want to go to Cleveland, like the curse, yeah. like all this. And I wasn't. I was like, look at Jordan Cameron. Look at yeah. look at Joe T. Look at the guys that are like on the offensive line. JG. Look at the pieces they got in like Mack. yes, yeah. JG, Alex Mack, Gibb, Whitner, like all these guys. I was like, yo, that team is better than what people think they are. Like and they it, were, and, and we were. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we got to wrap it up here, man. Jo- Johnny, man, we can't thank you enough for gracing us with your presence, bro. We're proud of you um, more than anything. And, and me and Joe talked about it before. Like when we got. We got a message from you about a year ago mm-hmm. after the season, basically saying a lot of things you said today. They're like, yo, I, I apologize for the things that I've done um, and the way that I was in the locker room as a professional. And like that, that meant more than us than anything that could have been done or said on the field or in a locker room because, like I said, we're just proud of your maturation and kind of just looking yourself in the mirror. And it, like I said, I mean, we couldn't be more happy for you and excited about what you got going in the future and just know here at Tomahawk we always root for you man. yeah and I remember that text I sent last year I, I remember sitting there and, and you came and saw me on, on Super Bowl yep. we, we came mm-hmm. and kicked it in Houston for a little bit but yep. I, I feel like especially with Joe T you know I, after I sent him that message you know how Joe is Joe was kind of <laughs> like you know I don't even need that apology type of thing but I yeah. appreciate it. he was like a man saying it but like mm-hmm. I look back at it now and I'm kind of like damn I wasted a little bit of Joe T's career a little bit, I feel like. Like, yeah. I'm to the point where I'm like, damn, I was supposed to be the guy that was there to step up. And, like, that's where I say in some of these stories where I was extremely, extremely selfish, extremely only cared about what I wanted. I didn't think about how my life and my decisions yeah. affected people around me. And, and it does. But, you know, Joe T, I, I'm pulling for you, man. I, I hope and know that if anyone can do it in Cleveland to pull those guys around and keep the locker room tight and keep it together, I know it's you. That's why you're there. That's why you get hurt, and and they still give you a bag, and you still go on about (laughs) your day. Um, I want to go. We need to get some hunting sessions in this year before we get to the season. So always pulling for you, Hawk. Thank you. You're you're a budding superstar in in the world Mm -hmm. of of television, of Snapchat, like uh, of everything. So, you know, First and foremost, like thank you guys for the time we spend in Cleveland together. Thank you guys for the relationship we'll continue to have moving forward. Man, awesome, Johnny. And uh, don't worry, you're the only one of 20 quarterbacks that has apologized to Joe <laughs> Thomas for the time in Cleveland. So you're cut about the rest, man. Appreciate you joining us, brother. Thanks a lot. All right, so that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk. Maybe the greatest episode we've ever done. I mean, arguably. I, I think it's going to be inarguably. If that's a word. Inarguably. Inarguably. There's no way to argue it is what we're saying. Listen, so, again, Johnny, we appreciate it. Listen, if you're listening, make sure you subscribe, rate five stars, share with your family, friends, enemies. I don't care if you even like them. Send this podcast to them. We appreciate you sitting down with us. And, as always, kill Hawk yourself. NFT.